Praise God. Okay, so uh, I want to get started on this. It's pretty interesting, pretty fun. We had a good time uh, Thursday night. We reviewed this stuff, talked over a few things. So I'm going to see if I can work from this side. So we want to review this, the life stuff that we want to rethink. What are we talking about for those of you who haven't been here uh, or um, didn't pick it up as we were going through it? When I'm talking about life stuff, I'm talking about the real practical aspects of our life that should be taught and changed or and strengthened, empowered, or whatever by the things that we're learning, okay? So let me run around these icons at the outside, first of all. Um, so this is, we learned about our heart and its capacity to... Uh, House both good and evil, but the capacity's the trick. It's big enough to expand to hold Jesus. And God sees it as that. And the Holy Spirit has made our hearts the place where Jesus lives. And so in spite of the fact that there's Old Testament scripture and stuff that says uh, that our hearts are desperately wicked, we looked at the fact that wickedness was something that we've imported into there. It doesn't mean there's not the capacity for darkness, but that's not what the defining characteristic is, nor the identity of our heart is seen by God. Our heart is where Jesus lives. Our heart is our life. Paul and I were looking the other day, we read the Septuagint, and it says that the heart is like a pit. It can be like a pit. That's the first part, that it's deceitful, but it is the man. Your heart is who you are, and your heart is who God deals with you with. So that's cool, and, and God's able to work it out. His light is much more powerful than the darkness that can reside in our heart, even if we're deceived about it. This little stop sign with a slash through it there is about God's wrath, a little red one down on the bottom corner. And uh, Ronnie, what's our phrase? May the wrath of God be with you. And with you. <laughs> I know it still makes your skin crawl a little bit from time to time when you say it, but the point of it is that God's wrath is poured out on all unrighteousness, all unrighteousness, including mine, as a saved, loved son. Because he is protecting our destiny. If we could, we would be very seriously tempted through our natural way of thinking. We'd be very seriously tempted to uh, ask God to dumb down the glory of heaven so we could keep a little of our, our cruddy stuff. And, you know, he might even be tempted to do it if, if it was just some abstract thing glory, but it's not. It's him. He is in the midst of it. He is the one that wants us to be near him. And... Uh, like a loving flame, the moth has to change. <laughs> it has to change so that we can be in there. So that's what wrath's about. As we move uh, up here, this is time. Time was made, it says in Hebrews, through and by Jesus. And it comes at us with all the characteristics of love and redemption that God carries. And so rather than, and there's several of us here who either have no hair or gray hair. And so it's to you that I'm speaking specifically we are tempted in our culture to think that time is short, that we're running out of time, or that time is not on our side. But that's not true, because time was made through Jesus. It is through him, it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, 2, 3, that made the ages. And uh, a lot of your translations will say made the world. That's an unfortunate translation. If it meant the world, he would have written cosmos. But he didn't. He ran aeons. And he meant that time is coming to us with the, with the engrams of God and the personality and purposes of God. Uh, next one down here, we learned how to ascend, or we have been learning that. We have access to heaven. If you have access to heaven, that should change the way you live. Right? And if you do have access to heaven, 
How well are you using it? I'm still repenting from not taking advantage of that access as much as I should. And so that'll be one of those things. Over here, we learned that Jesus, this is like one of the most important points. Paul has talked to me about what's your main message. This is in contention for it, that there's no God that we need to worry about behind Jesus. Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There's not, a, there's not a God that fits better into Job's friend's theology than is real in Jesus. There's not a God that better defines the, the troubles of the nation of Israel and the nations around them than there is revealed in Jesus. And so we're going to give our hearts and our trust to this revelation. I love that song, by the way, that we were singing today. It's the kind of thing that, you know... His, life, his love is a sure foundation, and that's the nature of God. And then, also, this is us standing there in Jesus. We can't really know ourselves apart from him. And there's all kinds of evidence we have to deal with that we're less than, different than, who knows what then. But the reality is, Colossians says that it pleased the God that all fullness would dwell in him in bodily form. And, okay, same sentence, and that you be complete in him. So, we need to start thinking of ourselves as complete in Christ as it touches some of these things. Uh, this confusing little symbol down here is where we, d- we tried to understand and let the Bible be what it is without putting on it the burden to be a God. Because Jesus is the one that brought God into our midst. The Son of God, Son of Man. And we had that illustration, uh, the Logos illustration. And um, we tossed that ball around. And Jesus is the one that enables us to handle the will and the minds and the idea, the mind and the ideas of God. And so uh, having access not only to heaven, but literally to the word of life, to the idea, the mind, the love, the power of God, has got to change the way we deal with the things that are thrown at us in life. So that's what we're looking at there. Just a second, and last one, is uh, what Diane Hillman brought to us a couple weeks ago. Uh, And I don't know exactly how to describe it except live honest, live transparent, know you're loved, fight for relationships. Just be yourself. Uh, Be intentional about being yourself because we all have a tendency to be pressed into the same kind of mold. And God made us as diverse parts of the body. And so one of the reasons that we probably don't see the kind of power and the kind of diversity in the ministry and, and stuff around us is because we have a tendency to want to look like everybody else. We revert back to our 15-year-old selves where everybody has to wear the same color clothes or the same length hair or the same this, that, the other. Yeah. And uh, we don't need to be that way. What's up about God's sovereignty, about giving? Fear's what we're going to look at today. This was the first one, uh, first one to tackle. And, boy, I was glad we did because it's going to take a little bit to get through it. And fear touches everything. Fear is an option every time you encounter anything. Think about that. You can always choose to be afraid. <laughs> So it's probably pretty good that we get our head around what it is. Uh, switching from me into we, we borrowed that from the, uh, the Wanamakers. Ronnie mentioned that up, but it's his too. Learning to appreciate our uniqueness, that was kind of from Diane. Uh, prayer and praying, we got a lot to learn there, I think, and um, it's going to be fun. Healing and miracles, uh, witness, how, where, when, living, walking in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit, dying to self. Uh, what is that, and, and what are we being called to do, and how do we do it? Living free of dualism, that might not mean anything to some of you. It might be important to others. We'll get to it. 
responding to and living from union, faith, what is it, and how do we, how do we operate in it, how do we stand in it, it says, we, you know, it's by faith we stand. Seeing uh, myself as God sees me and seeing other people as God sees them. So we're going to take like just a couple minutes, if in the course of thinking about this over the week, any of you thought of any other topics that we need to look into, because this is going to be one of the outlines for teaching this year. So my job's easy now. I don't have to think. I just got to knock these out. So, uh, any, other, any, other, any other areas of our life? Any other areas of our life that need to be informed by what we've learned about these icons, these things? Yeah, my Ronnie. What being free in God looks like? Oh, freedom. Freedom. That's very good. Anybody else? That's a good one. Yeah, Larry. It goes along with the prayer, but a different way of praying. You know, we've recently had Mm -hmm. uh, a different kind of prayer technique, and that was uh, instead of begging and pleading for what's already happening or happened, we decree and we declare it. Okay, so we'll, we'll put down uh, decree and declare. There probably is some stuff to learn about that. So that'd be a good one. All right. Surprise, I got another one. Yes, sir. What hearing God is like? What, how to hear God? What hearing God is like? What hearing God is like? Hearing God, just that topic. I guess. Okay, let's put hearing God. Hearing God. <laughs> Richard said something funny, but he didn't do it in the mic, so we're all the, the poor. Oh, okay, yeah, there's, there you go. Uh, all right, anybody else? Time for one more? We can add them as we go, but... You're really being into the spirit here, aren't you, Ray? Let's go seeing in the spirit. Okay. Okay, so I I don't want to do this exercise right now, but I want you guys to be thinking about this, okay? Um, Do you see how some of these things have a bearing on some of these other things? So, for instance, obviously, if we're going to uh, take advantage of our access to heaven, we're going to be introduced to concepts of seeing in the spirit better. Or, um, let's see here, uh, switching from me to we, our heart's going to come into that, and the scriptures are going to come into that. So those are things. What I'm suggesting is we've learned some stuff here. Oh, or, or like this idea. If we're living in Jesus, that's got a direct connection to learning to see ourselves as a we and with one another. So Larry, whenever we, uh, we go to heaven, I don't know how to, how to position this as a question right now, but we go to heaven and um, we're going to be at a point where we, we know the will of the Father. We're connected with him intimately. Like It's just kind of through us and uh-huh. who we are and we'll have a... I believe, just full fulfillment within that. Why is that not happening now? Why so, does that not happen here? And uh, why is that, and, and just to finish off my question, yeah. why is that such a wrestling point of, Father, what is your will? Father, where do you want to go? Like, just like Ronnie said, you know, I'm just hearing, hearing God. Like, 
is this transition only going to be happening in heaven? That's not what the Bible says. <laughs> so, so where does that go? And I know that's kind of an uncomfortable one, but no. I would love to dive into that, dog. So, so how about we call it? What about knowing? What about now? Okay, I can't. I'm missing in there. K N O W I N G. God's will will now. And then, uh, <laughs> Ray's got a in the spirit lens. Uh, <laughs> What about knowing God's will? In other words, our union with him has to manifest now yeah. in greater ways. Yeah. Okay. Uh, did we have a thing about living in union? Yes, it's right yeah, right here. Okay, so this is going to have a little bit to do with that one right there. Okay? Maybe, yeah, maybe a lot. I mean, I'm just trying to ease into it. All right. Oh, okay. So. Um, this one's kind of hard to describe. Understanding our different identities in Christ, like moving from slave to friend to son to bride, those things, and understanding what it means to be that, even okay. though. We're... All right. Uh, let's see. Slave, child. Son. What was the other one you listed, Sterling? Slave, child, son. Bride. Uh, bride. Bride. Yeah. You know, some of those identities are a little confusing, a little bit um, obscure until you really delve into it. Right. Might require faith. Seems how it's next to it. This could be a very prophetic board. All right. That sounds good. So all of those are before us. I'm going to try to be as practical as I can. Um, you know, sometimes I, I'm, I teach a little theoretically, uh, and, and these deserve to be dealt with practically. Uh, it's more than just these icons, though. And this I also want you to be thinking about. Okay, it's, it's the life stuff that gets empowered and released in us. So I was thinking of trying, I tried to come up with some ideas about how these things combined for a thought. So God is exactly like Jesus. Obviously, that's like this. But that means that allows us to refigure what we think about his wrath or what we can pull from the scripture of the logos of God in relationship to Jesus versus the Bible itself. Or like our idea that time now has the characteristics, the DNA of God coming, it comes out of that. And so we can expect redemption in, in time instead of just this juggernaut that crushes us. And then God is exactly like Jesus, and Diane gave us an example of a person who's made some good progress, living their life in such a way that what we see in Jesus, she experiences in her life from the Father. And so I thought that was, you see what I'm trying to say? So who is Jesus to you, and is he the same to you as to your neighbor across the street? Do you see him that way? That's just an idea of a question that would be informed by this idea. Here's one. There's more to us than we can generally see, appreciate, or act on. There's more to you than you think. There's more to you than you think. And as a result of that, we fall short a lot of times of being our full self in a situation, or in a hope, or in a crisis, 
or in a situation where there's a lot of joy. Have you ever found yourself walking away? I do this too frequently. Walking away from a situation that was fun, but you didn't take full advantage of it. You kind of were an internal party pooper in it. It's like you're not built for joy or something. At that moment. Or you let something else come in. There's more to us going on here. There's the presence of the Spirit. Okay, so for example, what does John uh, 2022, we're going to get to that later. How about uh, this passage in 1 Corinthians 6.3? I'll read it to you real quick. Just, just so you know that there's more going on with you than you probably thought about this morning. Okay, you ready? Does any uh, one of you, when he has a case before his neighbor, dare go to a court of law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or do you not know that the saints, okay, how many of you in here are a saint by this definition? Okay, good. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Now, I don't mean post snarky things on Facebook. I'm talking about there's something substantial here. We're going to judge the world. Yeah, Riley? In love, though. Who's got something? Yes. Go ahead and speak up. Oh, okay, gotcha. So grab your mic and go. All right, while you're figuring that out. We got it. Okay. Okay. So Shannon said we must learn not... Or sorry, we must learn not to filter everything through the eyes of our humanity, seeing through his eyes uh, seated in him. That's a good point. That's absolutely a good point. Uh, that's kind of what's behind my little statement that I say all the time. Father, it's more important that I see this as you see it than I do because I don't trust how I see it. And you see it the way it really is. What God sees is the way it really is. And, and, and we're equipped to live in what really is both the seen and the unseen parts of it, okay? So that's just an example. But let me keep going. This gets even worse. Um, (laughs) If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? Do you not know that we will judge angels? I don't know what that means, but it means something. (laughs) It means that at some point in our lives... We're going to sit there, and, I, I, and I'm going to just throw out a couple of imaginary. These are imaginary, okay? Please don't uh, say I'm making doctrine out of this. But what if we are called to judge the effectiveness of the guardian angels that were assigned to us? Now, if you're not happy with the <laughs> performance <laughs> that they've done, it's going to take a lot of growth and grace and a lot of Christ in you. To sit there, but can you imagine all of a sudden after whatever, whenever, that we see them and they see us and we realize they've been serving us their whole life and we're there to render judgment? Have you ever thought about that? Some have, but most haven't. Or what about bad angels? What about ones that rebelled? I'm not trying to make a doctrine out of this. I'm just saying, can you envision yourself being in a position to speak... Righteous judgment on behalf of God for and to angels who rebelled against Jehovah. There's more going on. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) 
there's more going on with us as being made in his image and being image bearers than just trying to get through life without cursing at the next guy that cuts us off in the road. There's more. There's more. Okay. Uh, okay, it's safe, even healthy, to ask questions, to try and fail and to imagine. That is this thing about our heart. This is what the wrath of God guarantees. We aren't going to get consumed by uh, how much or what might be lost if we give in to the fear of failure or of being wrong. What inventions aren't in the earth because someone was afraid of failing before they tried? What relationship went on the rocks because a person was afraid of being rejected? What truth hasn't yet been shared because it hasn't already been shared and we're afraid to break new ground in the Spirit? See what I'm saying? Okay. And then... Our story and other stories are important. Do you tell your story or listen to someone else's story often enough? When is the last time you told your story, your life story to somebody? How many of you have told your life story to somebody in the last 30 days? Good. In the last six months. I'm not talking about a particular Christian witness. I'm saying your story. Hey, this is who I am. This is who I am. This is why I am, as best I understand it. These things are important. How many of you have listened to a fairly extensive telling of somebody else's story in the last 30 days? Excellent. There's more to us that's going on. There's some neat stuff to find out. Cool. All right. So the first of this life stuff thing we're going to do is fear. And I've, I've discovered, as with most things, it's a broader question than you might think. So basically, we're going to try to cover four things. What is fear? How significant a role has fear played in the scriptures? What is the fear of the Lord? This has been a super perplexing uh, question for me for a long time. And uh, one of the very first questions the guys in Uganda even asked me is, can you help me understand the difference between the fear of the Lord and being afraid of the Lord? And I kind of took a stab at it, but now I'm going to be a lot better equipped to uh, revisit that question. But it's a common one with a lot of people. So what's the fear of the Lord? And then the last one is, how can we fear the Lord and fear not at the same time? How do we do that? And then how do the things we've learned inform that? If we're really fortunate today, we're going to get to the second one. (laughs) And uh, the mics are open for questions, and I'm totally at peace, and... uh, if we don't get but halfway through the first one, as long as you guys will hang in there. All right, so uh, as you know, one of the ways that I like to... I'm going to get back here a little bit so I'm not in front of everybody. Uh, one of the ways that I like to uh, look at stuff is just to see what the language in the Bible says. And sometimes it's full of revelation, and sometimes it just uh, confirms that it's what it says. So here's one of the first ones. Mora or Mora is uh, uh, an example there. Um, is the, is, it creates a terror or it's a, a, a frightening, something that catches you off guard and holds you terror. Uh, it, it's used about 40 times in the Old Testament. It basically means this. The fear of you and the terror of you, and it's talking about Noah, will be on every beast of the earth and every bird of the sky and everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hands they are given. This is uh, one of the things the Lord pronounced after the flood and after they emerged from the ark. And you could imagine you had a whole world full of, of animals, and if they were hostile and you had one family, 
you'd have a pretty risky situation going on. So this idea, and, and I have a tendency to think that every time you try to ease up to a shy little deer or something and they buck and they go back, it's a part of what God sowed into them back then. But that's what that means by the, the word mirage used mostly like that. Uh, fear is reverence. It's not just the same. So I want you to notice the definitions here. These definitions come out of the, a compendium of, uh, what was it? I want to give them credit. Uh, the online bio, Thayer's Greek Lexicon and Brown Driver Biggs. And they, they've done a compilation and a compression, so it's pretty easy to look at. So anyway, this word, yera, is used a bunch of times, almost 300 times. And it has to do with fear, terror, fearing, or reverence. So uh, line one definition would be fear and terror. It's used like that some. Uh, second, awesome or terrifying thing or an object that causes fear. Uh, fear of God, respect, and piety. It's used a lot like that. Almost every time that you see fear God. So, for instance, all of the Proverbs that say the fear of the Lord is, that they're all Yerah. Yeah. So, Proverbs 9.10 is kind of an example of that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So th- this is going to be a big one we're going to look at when we discover what the fear of the Lord is. Isaiah 11.3 says something interesting and wonderful. And he, and it's talking about the shoot of Jesse, uh, talking about Jesus, will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make decisions by what his ears hear. This uh, Isaiah 11.3 follows immediately after what a lot of times we refer to as, as the definition of the Spirit of God or the seven spirits of God that are spoken about that are going to rest on Jesus, all of those uh, that culminate down in the fear of the Lord is used the word Yerah. Okay, uh, fear as if in being afraid is in the same family of words, but it's Yare, and it means to be afraid, to, to stand in awe, and it can also mean show reverence. And then those other tenses, just uh, to make someone afraid or anything like that. One of the classic and, and, and poignant uses of this word is that David was afraid of the Lord on that day. And it was after a user reached out and touched the ark. And it, it's repeated uh, in both of those passages of Scripture. So, you know, it's a pretty significant deal. So you can just imagine what David felt like when he had these old plans. And you read the story about how the ark was not supposed to be on a cart and got carried. And eventually he overcame that fear and brought the ark in. So you can see that even someone like David obviously had to wrestle with fear in his life. Uh, so that's what that word means, uh, yare. And then the Greek family of words is uh, the primary one by a long shot. I mean, like 98% of the words when you read fear in the New Testament, it's either phobos or phobios. And uh, you can see where we get the idea of a phobia. It's the Greek word for uh, a fear of or an irrational fear of. And so I just brought up a couple examples to talk about a little bit. And this is so we know what fear is, what we're talking about. Uh, let's do the bottom. Let's go from the bottom up because I want to comment on the top one a little bit. So in Matthew 28, 8 through 10, and they left the tomb quickly with fear and with great joy. This is talking about the women. And they ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. So here you have an instance where fear and afraid, both those are phobos words, where fear and afraid are the response to a super happy occasion. So fear is not just a, a, a negative terror. It, it can also be a part of like overwhelmingness in a positive situation, like it was with Jesus. And so uh, both of those are phobos words. If we go to Romans... It says, for rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is the minister of God 
to you for good, but if you do what is evil, be afraid. And so this, the reason I included it is I want you to understand that fear is not just a biblical concept. It's not just a spiritual concept. It's also a natural concept, and uh, it can be applied to government. It can be applied to criminals being afraid of being caught or whatever the case. Yes, Ronnie. This is a comment that's sort of a question. Okay. Um, When you were just doing this one part right here, it seemed to me that fear seems to be very closely related to, in a human, adrenaline. I would, I would say it is in the physiological sense. Because the idea that if they left with fear and great joy, there's this feeling of mm-hmm. adrenaline going yeah. on. There's a lot of feelings that are that way. We need to not be ashamed to talk about them. One of my favorite uh, concepts out of The Four Loves by C.S. Lewis is that he, he observes the fact that uh, that love uh, feels very, very much the same as nausea. So you can eat something that's spoiled, and you can have the same physiological feeling as falling in love. Without the complications. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but it's true. It's true. And this is something that we've got to do. When we get into studying about living free of dualism and just living free in general, and especially this also thing, dying to self, I think one of the things that gets impressed on the, the, our concept of dying to self is a dualistic ideal that we're supposed to be able to be free of all that kind of thing and everything. Um, We are natural beings as well. Jesus took on our flesh. He didn't just take on our atoms. Uh, It used the word sarks as a part of the incarnation. He didn't become sin, but he understands intimately the vessel that sin did its work of death in. And he undid its work of death. And so, you know, studying these things are very practical in the areas of our life. Very practical. Adrenaline, emotion, sleeplessness, all this kind of stuff. All of these are accessible. Okay, does that make sense? Uh, The one on top I want to talk about is, uh, Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Um, Father there is normally capitalized. I changed the tense, and I didn't catch that one. Um, I don't want to start my own rabbit trail (laughs) to follow. But this is an interesting passage of Scripture. There's two uh, schools of theological thought about this. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. For instance, if you read in the Message Bible, uh, he translates it something like, reserve your fear for God who, can, who has both your, your soul and your body in his hand. There is a lot of linguistic evidence here that, 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 that God is not the one that's being talked about and the one who, who fears. This is in the context of, of the Pharisees and the warning against the Pharisees being able to pull you away from the knowledge of the truth and replace that knowledge with uh, religious spirits and, and religious doctrine. And so I know I've, I've disappointed a number of people when I even tried to bring it up. But do not fear those who kill the body but enable to kill the soul, but rather feel, fear him. And a lot of people assume this him is God or some uh, say the one and sometimes they'll capitalize it. Fear the one who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell I understand the logic of that thinking, but it immediately goes on and says, this is Jesus talking, are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are numbered, so do not fear. 
especially I'm thinking in context, don't be afraid of your father. Yeah, it's like schizophrenia. Huh? Yeah. It's like schizophrenia. Yeah, it is. Okay, if you assume that, that that's you're supposed to fear God, now don't fear God. Yeah. Right. So I do think there's some study that needs to be done there about what right. Jesus was saying, because I don't think he's warning us to be afraid of his father. I think he's warning us to be afraid of people that will take our faith and take our hearts and take our imagination and pull them away from God. Yeah, they are. Yeah. When I look at the New Testament, since Jesus and being a believer, I, don't, I can't find any reason why we need to fear in the way of being afraid of the Father. Okay? Yeah. I do understand reverence and respect for yeah. him. But in the New Testament, basically, Jesus is just telling everybody, don't be afraid, don't be fearful, yeah. you know? Yeah. But the, the reverence and the respect, I do understand. Yeah, I but, think that's, that's something yeah. we're going to have to get better at distinguishing in our own right. mind and language. Right. Yeah, I, I agree, Tim. So uh, there's, like I say, 98% of the time, uh, fear is a, a Phobos word. Intramos is terrified or trembling with fear. This is the example in the book of Acts. You remember when the Lord opened all the locks and set the people free? The jailer was going to kill himself. I'll start here in 28. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for the lights and rushed in with trembling and was trembling with fear. That's the word uh, intromos there. And then one other word that gets used about fear has to do with uh, being warned and the reaction to being warned. So it's by faith Noah being warned by God about having not about things not seen in reverence prepared the way. So it has to do with re- reacting to God's warning or reacting to a warning of somebody else. But again, these are very very minor. Nothing not they're not important words, but very minor in the pantheon of words. Yes, need me go back? No. Okay. So I'm gonna lovingly disagree with Tim in a, in a so. We shouldn't fear the Father in that the Father loves us and seeks us and wants us but we have a very greek viewpoint of science and we think we understand things and we think that we um you know like if if somebody falls over and they're laying there unless you put the little things that tells their heartbeat you're not going to know if they're you know what they're dead you're going to feel a pulse Mm -hmm. and so in modern times we have what we believe to be a complete understanding and therefore no fear of these mystical things like someone being raised from the dead. Now, I have not yet seen anyone raised from the dead. However, I think that freaked me out. <laughs> I think I would fear that. Like, uh-huh. not, I mean, yeah, it'd be awesome, but it'd also be like, oh my gosh, this is like my, you know, super, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly right, supernatural. So there's, and that's what I'm saying, like, it's kind of awe of God, but like God is God. Mm-hmm. We're human. That's that's like, what I was saying about being whoa. a steward of our language. Because I do yeah. agree that as a, as the Father, there's nothing to fear in the Father, but we can become if we're you know if we, if we have a a, a, a a dualistic separated kind of way of thinking, we can categorize something that would be so awesome that it just you know made our hair stand on end as as something else, and and so we'll get to. Maybe something that'll ease the tension between those two concepts in just a second. Yes, Nancy. Well, I just want to address what she said because I have raised the dead and I have restored amputated limbs. And what, what comes as a result of that is massive migration of people to come and see. Yeah. So, so because the, the all of creation is, is groaning for the manifestation 
of the sons of the living God. When they see a true manifestation of that, they are drawn to it in huge numbers. So I would say that rather than invoking fear in people, that their internal man is drawn to what they already know to be true and to be a manifestation mm-hmm. of those that uh, a manifestation of those that are called to walk as the sons of the living God. I, I want to share one more thing about fear, mm-hmm. and uh, before I sit down. Uh, because I was very far away from the things of God and very anti-Christ spirited, how I came into salvation was he appeared in my bedroom as a brilliant blue-white blinding light. And he was so, so brilliant and so shiny that I could actually see all the bones in my body. And I could see the two-by-fours behind the walls. And I could see the, the red construction marking on, on the concrete under four inches of, of white shag carpeting. And um, I have never in my whole life been subject to fear. I could count on one hand the number of times that I've ever felt any fear in terms of an adrenaline rush. But when he showed himself that way, I fell down on the floor and grabbed my head and started to scream, please don't kill me, please don't kill me, because I know the fear of the Lord, and that was, um, and that was the beginning of my whole walk with the Lord. Today, I agree um, with what is being said, that now it represents uh, respect and honor and understanding of who he is. But I'm wondering, because I, I, I teach a lot about this, what would happen if he actually showed up in this room? And I can tell you, if that happens, we are going to know fear, okay? <laughs> yeah. Because I've, I've had that happen in my own life. So we tend to look at the Father as just being a loving, wonderful, and he is that, but we have very little comprehension of what it would be like if he actually appeared in this room. Right. And I think our body would actually blow into a million pieces because we wouldn't be able to stand it, which is why he says no man can see God and still live. Yeah. So in our humanity, we cannot really endure that at this present moment. So where we are is in a state of preparation to be able to have that happen in our life, at which time I hope our response will be one of honor and one of respect. So here's here's one of the things that I want to, one of the things that I want to talk about. Hang on just a second, let me make a couple points. We have a tendency to try to distill everything down into a small unit that we can properly catalog. But the reality is, is uh, everybody in this room, for instance, is at a different level of revelation about who the Lord is. And so some things that the Lord has done would, uh, in, in some other person's life, would be a brand new shocking experience in your life. Or I think about the, just the, the flow of the, of the church. So following the story of the fate of Ananias and Sapphira, it says this, And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard these things. But what resulted in that was that at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and uh, Jesus went about doing all these things with them. Um, I, I, we're almost at the end, so what's your point, Ray? Then I'm gonna, I gotta jump to the next yeah. point. Uh, I was once, I got choked on some food one time with my 
daughter and her babysitter was there. And uh, I was out, and I went into the Spirit, uh-huh. and I felt the anointing of the Holy Spirit in the other realm. And it was a little bit stronger. And uh, when I got there, it was, uh, I didn't want to come back to this realm. So were you afraid or not afraid? No, I was just like, I saw the light, but it wasn't real brilliant light, but Uh I saw the light in the tunnel like that. And when I saw it, and they revived me, shaking me to come back, I said, don't bring me back. (laughs) I I love it here, you know. And uh, the other point is, I saw this, uh, in my dream, I saw this, uh, like the sunshine in the back of my head, uh-huh. back of me, and it says, look in the mirror. And I saw in the mirror, I saw Jesus through myself Amen. in the mirror. Amen. Amen. So I, I, I think that uh, it would be, it's wrong of us to paint a picture of God in whom we have to be afraid like we're afraid of a mugger. So, Tim, back in, in one of your other uh, past phrases, the he's going to squash me like a grape type thing, or a bug. Used to be. Used to be. That's the kind of fear that we don't want to have. Uh, the, John fell at his feet when he saw him. The, and, and he even felt the feet of an angel representing God. And so to think that we ought to be in a place where the awe of God can't knock us on our, our keisters is silly. But to think of a place where we are afraid like we're afraid of other unknown things is something that I think. So that's what I meant by being a steward of the language. And so having looked into the language, this just shows how, how prophetic my PowerPoints can be. Having looked into the language, fear simply means what we think it means. To fear, to be afraid, or to revere, all that kind of stuff. Our life stuff isn't going to be decided by the language that we look at in Scripture. So you say, well, why do we go through that? Well, because I've raised enough question about what the Greek and Hebrew says that it's worth looking at to find out if there's some kind of silver bullet in there, because there is in some scriptures. This isn't one of those. And I'll give you a clue. Belief and faith are the same way. The words about belief and faith don't create the kind of illumination that they do about other things. So fear is just what you think it is. So in an introduction about fear, I want you to know that your understanding of what fear is, that it includes the adrenaline, that it includes the physical, that it's a response to awe, that it's an a ignorant response to somebody who's actually loving you, it's, it's a, a, a physical emotion, a psychological reaction that's informed by cultural things in our life, like whether we had a good dad or a bad dad or a violent home or whatever the case is, Okay. If somebody frightened you when you were little and you got afraid of the dark, or if you almost drowned when you were two years old, maybe you're going to have a rough time, you know, swimming. Uh, These are all, fear is what we assume it is, okay? So I took 20 minutes to to say that so that (laughs) we could look at what the significance of fear is in the Scripture and not feel like, well, maybe we're missing something. No, you're not. We're going to look at some passages of Scripture where it says this person's afraid or this person's afraid or this happened because they're afraid. And you and I understand what it means. Okay? What is the scope and the significance of fear in the Scriptures? We are going to touch on it. All right. Fear goes from cover to cover. Fear is in the book of Revelations. 
and fear starts early in Genesis. That alone is probably a good justification for us choosing to tackle this first before we get practical in other things. Because as I was thinking about it, and I mentioned earlier, every one of those things up there, fear can play a role in it. Fear can shut our mouths at a witness. Fear can cause us to, to be afraid to think of ourselves as gloriously as we should because we don't want to think of ourselves more than we ought. Fear can, can cause us to be afraid of not hearing the Lord and being uh, snookered by the devil. Fear can cause all kinds of stuff. So because fear is, is, is nor, a normal and a natural kind of thing that won't always exist, just because something's normal now doesn't mean it's, it's common in heaven or it's common in our destiny, or it was a way we were supposed to be made. I think fear comes from the fall, for sure. But I want you to know that it's, it's something that we don't need to be afraid of fear. We need to be a steward of fear. This is why we're learning these things. We can open our eyes and our heart, and we can step beyond that chicken line in whatever the circumstance is. Or we can receive somebody that we would normally be afraid to receive. And, uh, and so starts early. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. So I would posit to us that if for no other reason than that all of the dysfunction that we, that cause the variety of fear in our life, all of the dysfunction that we experience was a manifestation of fear in the beginning. If we can overcome this, we can reverse the effects of the fall in our life. That's big. I know I just said something that I don't know anything but the barest minimum about, but it's the truth. It's the truth, and we have this enormous ally. So if we had these icons up here right now, we would have that one where those little people are standing in Jesus worshiping, and we would go, we're banking on that. And when my heart reacts in a fearful way, I've got Jesus living inside it, shining light out, putting to death that fear. This is why these individual things are important. This is why they're important. We, you, I, can live above fear. We can live free of fear. Not free of the temptation of fear. Free of fear. Yes, Laurel. I have a question. So, Because I was thinking about it before you read that scripture back there. And they were afraid. And I know he was like, okay, well, how do you even know about fear, essentially, right? right? Right. But he didn't treat them. Yes, there was a consequence to the action of Mm -hmm. disobedience. But Mm -hmm. he didn't treat them all of a sudden. He didn't turn around and turn into this wrathful, vengeful, red haired flaming god who freaked purple, out on them. Purple-haired. What? Purple-haired. Oh, purple. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Could be, depending on what mood he was in. He's like me, you know. Changes weekly. No, but, um, but, but that was their response because they yeah. understood. But his response still was very loving. And so if we, like you were talking about, so the concept of managing, is it managing our fear? Yeah. Because if we look at him and we react the way he reacted, yeah, then we should be able to control it because they weren't afraid. I'm not even sure they were afraid of him. They were just afraid. I don't because know. Yeah. 
It says, I was afraid because I was naked. Yeah. I would be afraid, too, if I had to stand around naked personally. Like, let me stand here naked. I'd be fearful, right? But what I'm saying is I don't know if they were necessarily – he didn't respond out of rage to that. No. But we treat it, we treat our fear like he's going to respond in right, rage. Right, and so no, we have to figure no. out how he's going to respond. This is why the idea about judgment is important. This is why the idea about understanding what God's wrath is and isn't is important. Th- these things make a difference. How God reacts in our heart makes a difference. Yes, Vicki? Well, just, this is why we get pressed beyond 1130. <laughs> All right, it's good though. Okay, so this is sort of like along with what Laurel was saying because um, I think that change is a huge agent for fear. And so when it says, I was afraid because I was naked, they never knew they were naked. But the moment they ate of the fruit and entered into that disobedience, they became afraid because suddenly they realized, oh my gosh, I'm naked. And so when change comes to us, whether it's coming from the Lord or circumstances or whatever, a lot of times that change agent or that change thing that's taking place causes fear. Yeah. And, you know, so it, and it can be like in that Matthew scripture, it can be, you know, finding out that you're pregnant and going, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, I'm pregnant. Yeah. And you have this fear of what it's going to be like to be a mom and what about delivery and all that kind of yeah. thing. And then, you know, it, so change, I think, is something that that we need to um, manage in our lives as opposed to just. Uh, letting it happen to well, I think us. One of the other things we've got to realize is that God is not a foreign foreign to change. Uh, change is glorious to him. He anticipates it. And Laurel, in, in, uh, if I had copied the very next sentence, God didn't react to their fear. He reacted to their nakedness. He said, who told you you were naked? Or he kind of did. He was trying to talk about it. So, uh, yeah, Ronnie? It, it's similar in, to what has just been going on, but the idea, I think this is maybe the first use of fear. In the Bible? It is. And there's, I don't know what the terminology is, but when something's mm-hmm. used the yeah, first time, the, it yeah. seems to be uh-huh. important. It's the arc, uh, archetype use or whatever the case. It sets a tone. So, but here it doesn't say he feared God. And so there's something I think really deep and important about why he said he was fearful. And well, the uh, fact that he yeah. was already naked before then. Yeah. So that wasn't issue, something just, it was different. It was the understanding or revelation. Let of me that. jump to one point from that. Uh, we're not going to have time to do it today. We're gonna, it's going to be next time we talk about fear. Fear is is almost something that's nothing. Or you almost can't identify fear by itself. Fear is always associated with fear of, fear of, fear this, fearful of, those sorts of things. And I think that's what you're talking about. So this this awakening to his nakedness created something, shame, whatever. Uh, same situation uh, and, and I love the parallel. The uh, when the talents were given, five, two, and one, the statement of the guy that had one and buried it says, "I knew you were a hard man. You you reap where you didn't sow, and so on." And I was afraid. And that fear was constituted as evil. So we're going to have to deal with that because fear has the power to traffic in some very serious things, like evil, like rebellion, like shrinking back. You know, God takes no pleasure in those that shrink back. What? All right, so... It does. Okay, so it also happened at critical individual times, and I'm gonna, I'll be able to get through this. So <clears throat> here, the people 
got to Sinai, the children of Israel got to Sinai, and they perceived the thunder and the lightning and the flashes and the sounds of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. Let not God speak to us or we will die. And Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. For God has come in order to test you and in order for the fear of him may remain with you. So here's an interesting one where both instances are used. Okay, don't be afraid because their fear caused the whole mediatorial thing to take over. And it was a bummer. There's no question about it. But there's an appropriate fear there of the Lord response but not one that pushes away. And this is something that, uh, like, fear's kind of the mother of courage. But I don't think it is, because I don't think negative things birth positive things. But courage is demonstrated by the fact that we have fear, and we step across the line. We press in. So I'm not an expert on it psychologically or, or linguistically, but I know that when we take an honest look at fear and we start partnering with Jesus in our own identity and operating out of our union with him, fear becomes an entirely different sort of enemy. Right. And it becomes an enemy that can actually uh, work in our favor. Uh, again, at a critical time, this was devastating as well. Uh, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong. So they gave out the sons of Israel a bad report in the land which they had spied out. The land, and so this is, doesn't use the word fear, but this is an example of fear. The land through which we have gone and spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also were the Nephilim, the souls of Anak, and part of the Nephilim, are part of the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Now, I don't know if, in fact, the warriors of Israel looked like grasshoppers in the sight of the, the people of Anak. I don't think they did. Because how would they know? Did they go ask? Do we look like a full-sized man to you, or do we look like a pipsqueak? No, they didn't do that. One of the things that fear does is it lives out its life in your head. And it distorts, and it steals, and everything. These same guys reported that the land was like you said. It flows with milk and honey, and these grapes that we had to carry between two sticks, uh, between two men, it's a great place. But we can't go there because there's giants in the land and there's big walls. And the walls were bigger than they were. And the giants were taller than they actually were because they were living in the mind that was controlled by fear. And it's, it's a rough situation. The final barrier, how about this one? So we said it's important that we deal with fear because it's presented very, very early in the Scripture and it caused most all of the confusion there is. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. They were not subject to slavery by chains. They were not subject to slavery by bonds of other types. They were subject to slavery through the fear of death. We are capable of being enslaved in the same way. Unfortunately, some of our Christian theology promotes fear. 
And this is why we've got to sort this thing out. How do we fear the Lord appropriately without trivializing him or his awesomeness and not be afraid of him? How do we have the ability to be knocked flat on our back in awe but not be driven away in the process like the children of Israel were? That's what we're studying. This next one is the one in John. Uh, we'll get to that next week. And so fear is important because it is the root of alienation and sin. And I don't think that was just in Adam. I think in the areas in your life that feel out of control and unsubmitted to God, fear is playing a role right today. And I think if we expose it, if we expose it to the light. I think the areas of, an, of our heart that we're afraid is because we have not cognitively thought about until we realize it's true and then exercise faith in that direction. Well, yes, that is in there. But so is Jesus. Doesn't that count for anything? Doesn't his light count for anything against that darkness that I'm afraid of? I think there's practical stuff that we can deal with. It's going to change our lives. Uh, so fear is important because it's the root of alienation. It undermines trust in God. It undermines trust in God. Adam and Eve hiding, Adam and Eve's fear, Adam and Eve's recognition in response to their own nakedness, all of whatever that was, they hid from God. They wanted to separate from him. I've never thought about this, but you don't hear them complaining that much when they were put out of Eden. Maybe they were still living in fear. And a lot of times, I just do want to warn you since we brought this subject up, uh, don't allow yourself to slip into thinking that God cut himself off from Adam and Eve. Because if he did, Cain would have had to have made an appointment with the cherubim guarding the entrance to Eden and gone in, said, okay, you can go in, so God could talk to him about, hey, son, sin is crouching at the door. Cain did not go back into Eden. God was with Cain outside. Don't interpret that as separation or rejection. It was protection and division from those things. You get my point? Cain did not have the authority to make an appointment with the cherubim with a flaming sword and say, can I get in for a while? I got an issue I want to talk to God about. No, God went with them. Eve cried out when, when um, Seth was born. We've had a man with the help of the Lord. Or what, uh, that, was, that was Cain, I think. Cain? Yeah, that was Cain, actually. We had him early on. So anyhow. Okay, so it under, but, but fundamentally, uh, fear undermines your trust in God. Fear undermines your trust in God. Uh, second, it subjects us to slavery. Who wants to be a slave? Only to righteousness, the way Paul talked about it. That's my only answer. It robs us of the experience of the love of a good and a, pap- a good papa and it robs us of love from one another. So this is why we're going against fear. I want you to be thinking about which of these aspects that we've learned. Like, I know a lot of people that are afraid about time. If we can think about it differently, it's going to be okay. There's a lot of people afraid that their heart's not pure enough to see God because there's still some darkness in it. There's a lot of people that are afraid of the wrath of God. I'm still a little afraid of the wrath of God, frankly. <laughs> and I don't know what other term to use. And that's why I wanted to look at the language, because it's okay to use fear as reverence, and it's okay to use fear as I just messed my pants. So 
we got to figure out how to do this. Slip that one by you. All right. Anyway, that's it. We're done. I'm going to pray for you. Oh, can I ask one quick question? Yes, you may. Um, it seems that potentially that original sin could have been fear itself. That the fear in and of itself is that thing that was a sin versus just disobedience having eaten the fruit. Could We could look at it. Say something about the fear of the Lord that came over them, uh-huh. because we tend to think that the fear came because they found themselves naked. But actually, the truth of the matter is, who cares if they're naked? They're the only two people there anyway. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The the nakedness was not the fact that they were stripped of their clothing. The nakedness was the fact that they realized they'd been stripped of the one thing that allowed them to walk in perfect union with God. The glory. Because they were dressed in Shekinah. So as we are being prepared by God, the reason they could walk in union with him is they were made of the same substance. And the truth of the matter is, we are also. Mm-hmm. The, the, what the Lord is doing right now is he's leading us to a place to take back that primordial position so that the Shekinah that's now on the inside will actually become our clothing on the outside. And what that does is it restores us to the glory that we had with God before we were ever born. And when that happens, the whole of the earth is going to give their life to the Lord because we've finally become the thing that we were created and ordained by God to be in the first place. So when we talk about them being afraid because they were naked, it wasn't because they didn't have any clothes on. It's because he recognized that he'd been stripped of the only thing that allowed him to walk in perfect union with the divine nature. So I love this. This is awesome. Cool. Okay. So, Father, we want to start by simply and humbly acknowledging that fear plays a role, too big a role, in our lives. And we're sorry. And we ask you to deliver us from fear. We're going to look further into what's revealed in your word and into how you treated your disciples and stuff and how fear was overcome in the lives of people and how you call us to overcome fear. How you went around, as Tim said, all throughout the New Testament saying, don't be afraid, fear not, don't be afraid. Help us first to overcome, first to discover, first to be honest about the place and the role that fear has in our lives, and then to cast it away. And Lord... Like all familiar things, we're going to be afraid of living without fear. And so I ask that you draw us into yourself, because you did live without fear. Not without pain. Not without anguish. Not even without saying, if it's possible, Father, let this cup pass from me. But you were not overcome by fear. And neither do we have to be, because we live in you, and you live in us. So, Father, we're going to get into it more deeply. We thank you that Easter's coming. Um, don't know if Easter's the time to talk about fear. I suppose it could be. But uh, I heard last night, and I, I, I know there's some truth in this, that fear is the opposite of faith. But I really think fear is the opposite of hope. And so I ask that you would 
Replace fear in our life with hope and let faith flourish. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Well, we got an ascension coming up uh, at 12, and you all are welcome to stick around and enjoy it. Um, if you do have to leave, God bless you. Good to see those of you that have been traveling, and uh, thanks for engaging. And I'm not naive. I know that fear is a huge problem, whether you have a little of it or a lot of it. I believe with all my heart that we are supposed to live free of fear. Not supposed to as an ought, supposed to as that's how we're designed. We have God on our side. We have Christ living in us. We have the Spirit guiding our steps. And we might get martyred, but we can do it without fear. Amen? All right. God bless you guys.